Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. How, how does your faith kind of play into it or does it play into it? What can be done about it? When I say the church, I'm talking about uh, evangelical white Christians and the black folk who attend their churches. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you have taken the time to either view this on Facebook or YouTube or listen to us on iTunes or Amazon or Spotify. We always uh, invite information, feedback from you about how the podcast is doing, how you're uh, responding to it. So feel free to reach out to me at fredjeffsmith at cox.net, fredjeffsmith at cox.net. Let us know how we are doing. I am very happy today to welcome as our guest, uh, Mr. Dadrius Lannis, who is a candidate for uh, Metro Council District 5 and is a sitting member of the East Baton Rouge Parish School Board. Mr. Lannis, thank you for taking the time to come and share with us today. Uh, Thank you, Pastor Lee. It's, It's always a pleasure to come on your show, dialogue about, you know, the needs of our community, but just having a higher level conversation uh, for people who necessarily may not know what's going on to keep them engaged. Yes, sir. Let me ask you right off the bat. Yep. I, I have a couple of questions I want to ask, but right off the bat. Yes, sir. Prophetic Voices mm-hmm. uh, has scheduled a debate uh, of the Metro uh, Council five candidates mm-hmm. for Monday, March 7th mm-hmm. at seven o'clock p.m. Will you be in attendance and will you participate in that debate? Absolutely, absolutely, and absolutely. I'm looking forward to the debate. You know, there's nothing there's nothing better than dialoguing about issues that our community has pressing concerns about. Uh, and if, if I may, just for a second, uh, I was walking uh, throughout the uh, Zion City and Glen Oaks area just uh, earlier this week, and I was talking to some of the citizens, and they, talk, and they were talking to me, or as they were talking to me, rather, uh, they were talking about the gunshot holes in their houses and in their cars, and they're showing me these things. And, you know, this is the reason why we have to have debates. This is mm-hmm. the, reason, the reason why we have to come together mm-hmm. uh, as candidates so that people can understand what are our plans. These are real pressing concerns that people have. Uh, you know, and these are our uh, elderly citizens who have been there for years, some of which have said over 40 years, 50 years. And, you know, if they feel afraid to walk outside their doors, we have a serious problem on our hands. So I say all that to say, yes, I will be at the debate. And I'm hoping everyone that is a, a candidate inside of this race shows up because the people need to hear from us. There are three candidates. All three have been invited. All yeah. three are aware. I'm just glad that I had the opportunity to ask you, uh, would you be present? Because, Absolutely. Uh, there's been some back and forth mm-hmm. about that with some of the other candidates. Yes, Before sir. we talk about Metro Council, okay. which I know is what you really want to talk about, yeah. I have some questions and some concerns about redistricting. Absolutely. Let's go and, to it. Uh, both the school board where you presently serve mm-hmm. and the Metro Council where you hope to serve mm-hmm. are are going through a redistricting process. Yes, sir. Uh, and uh, I guess coincidentally, perhaps not so coincidentally, mm. the same company that is the demographer for the school board uh, is the demographer for the Metro Council. Yep. Uh, uh, I have questions about that <laughs> as well. But... Uh, Tell me your thoughts about where the school board is in their process of redistricting. 
For example, okay. are we going to stay with nine seats or are we going to jump back to 11? Uh, because th there was a back and forth about that. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, are we really going to suggest that even though there are more blacks in the district, mm -hmm. that blacks should not comprise the majority of the seats mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that the school board will hold under the new configuration. Give me your assessment about where, where we are. Absolutely. So, you know, how we started this process off when we were trying to initially uh, select a firm that was going to handle our uh, demography for the school district, uh, it, was, it was a lot of back and forth because the person or the firm that had the highest uh, evaluation, uh, they did not get the, the contract. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, that was a back and forth as, as to why you didn't get the contract. You know, one, the argument on the other side was, well, just because the evaluation shows that, that doesn't mean that our board has to vote that way. But it's like, that's the recommendation coming from the people who we selected to be over this evaluation process. Right. If, that, if that's if we're not going to follow that, what's the point of having it, you know, that process to begin with? He didn't get it the first time, mm -hmm. when, and, and they selected someone else. Yep. And when that person quit... Mm -hmm. And he was still interested. Mm -hmm. He still didn't get it the second time, which right. which leads me to ask the question: What was the point of going through this scoring system mm -hmm. process in the first place if you're not going to follow the, the 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 results of the scoring process? Right. Now, my thing is, I'm not questioning Mr. Hefner's. Uh, that's not, that's the firm that we went with. Right. But I'm not questioning his credentials because obviously he's been doing his work before. The, what I question is the process because if you had the lowest score, then you shouldn't have gotten the contract to begin with. But now this is where we are. Right. Uh, there has been several conversations around our community to not only expand the seats, but understand what or uh, how many seats will uh, justify us uh, finally getting to a place where minorities inside of our city uh, have now become the majority. And I think uh, there's been a lot of political pandering, I will say that, and uh, there's been some conversations that have said that, we okay, we can go into uh, – leaning towards uh, pushing for a minority seat. But this is the problem we have with that, Pastor. If you look very closely at the process, they'll give a seat where it is minority leaning, but you have to pay very close attention to the voting population. Mm -hmm. It makes no sense to say that you have a minority leaning seat when 25% of those minorities are are, are, are children or are, are students uh, under the age of 18. They mm -hmm. can't vote. Mm -hmm. You know, And so that means that you would have a seat that is minority leaning with a white counterpart representing that seat, and that's not proper representation. Sure. And those are the conversations that I'm having right now. So you take my district, right? I have the largest population of black voters. What I have said since the beginning of this process is I don't mind giving my voters up because that's how we got in this position in the first place is this political packing inside mm -hmm. of these districts that look like mine. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and, and, and under the guise that, okay, as long as I have a, a significant amount of black votes, I'll always get voted back in. To me, that is the wrong approach to take. You know, at the end of the day, as long as the, the district is leaning a certain way, you're going to be okay. As long as you're doing the work, the voters are going to vote for right. you anyway. Right. Whether they're black, white, in between, it doesn't matter. But a lot of people don't see it that way, and we have to get back to a place in the process where those types of uh, conversations are being facilitated. I understand that uh, there was a meeting yesterday mm -hmm. uh, regarding redistricting. There's going to be a meeting tomorrow mm -hmm. uh, regarding redistricting. Are you guys narrowing—school board, when I say you guys, are, are, are you narrowing in 
on a vote uh, about maps and which map you will put forth uh, for acceptance? Well, in in your case, mm. in the school board's case, you don't have to put forth a map. Mm. You you agree upon yep. a map, and then it's a question of whether or not the map will be accepted by the community or whether or not uh, there will be challenges to the map that you put forth. It's a little bit different than what's going on mm. at the state legislature. But are, are you all close to finalizing a map, in your opinion? I think— I think we will get to a place where we are we get close to it. I think right now our community is still sending in maps. Like right now, the process is open for anybody to, to submit a map. Right. And then once you submit that map, it goes before our school board, and we can decide whether or not we want to push forward with that map or whether or not we want to discard it. So mm -hmm. right now, the process is still pretty open. But this is what I'll offer you, uh, uh, Pastor Smith. I want to hold a community town hall, not talking about city council, but not talking about Anything outside of school board related actions or issues, but specifically talking about redistricting where I bring the maps in, where we can bring in the NAACP, we can bring in the Legal Defense Fund, we can bring in the Power Coalition, who have all had significant influence mm -hmm. and impact on redistricting around this state. Mm -hmm. And let's really have a true community dialogue around what it is that our community wants to see throughout this process. And from that, that those are the maps that I want to put forth and say, listen, this is the plan based off of what the community said they want, and let's move forward on that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that idea very much. Um, your your uh, superintendent Narcisse mm -hmm. uh, has has come under some criticism here of late about a proposal that he had uh, regarding uh, high school students and community mm -hmm. college credits. Mm -hmm. uh, and when he first put forth the plan, uh, it th there was some pushback mm -hmm. from segments of the community. Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe it was the Sunday paper or the Monday paper. Mm -hmm. No, it was the Sunday paper. Uh, said that uh, he has backed away somewhat from that initial plan. Mm -hmm. Can you? I know you're not the superintendent, mm -hmm. but uh, have you all been in discussion about that plan? And 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 can you help us to understand what his thought process is at this point? Absolutely. Uh, one. Let me say this. You know. I'm a product of the East Baton Rouge Parish School System. Uh, I, I went to elementary school at Forest Heights Elementary, uh, middle school, Glen Oaks Middle School, and I finished at Glen Oaks High School. What I can tell you is this. In certain segments of our community, there are a lot of forgotten about students and a lot of forgotten about schools. Mm -hmm. We present the guys that students can obtain to be whatever they want to be in life, and they can go to college. But we have not done a steadfast job of ensuring that they have that opportunity or that pathway. What the superintendent has done is he has said, I'm going to give every single child inside of this community an opportunity to have an associate's, de associate's degree and a high school diploma at the same time. Mm -hmm. He helped bring in the U.S. Secretary of Education. When the U.S. Secretary of Education came to our city, he said this needs to be the model for the rest of our country because this is what progress is about inside of our schools. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of what's happening as of late, the superintendent has been hearing a lot of the parents' concerns about AP courses. So what he did was he said, okay, I'm going to walk back some of the dual enrollment, and I'm going to also offer more AP opportunities because that was the initial argument. It was people were concerned that if we increase or expand dual enrollment around our city, inside of our schools, that is going to diminish uh, AP courses or advanced placement courses inside of our schools. And mm -hmm. he said, absolutely not. That's not what we're going to do. That's not why we're doing this. He is doing this so young black kids have a true opportunity to obtain a college degree. Because for some of them, they may not ever go to college. Mm -hmm. But 
to know that you have a step up in the game before you graduate or after you graduate high school is game changing. And help the audience to understand what the value, how the value is enhanced mm -hmm. if a young person walks out of high school with not just a high school diploma, mm -hmm. but also with an associate's degree uh, that is certified uh, from a community college and, and, and that kind of, help, help people to understand exactly what that means to an individual as far as jobs are concerned, as far as uh, advancing their educational opportunities are concerned. Mm -hmm. uh, j j just, just help us to understand what that means to a, to a student, the, the opportunity. Absolutely. And it's, it's several different layers. And I think, you know, this is the reason why it's important that we have this kind of a conversation so people can understand when we start pulling those layers back, the reason why this is so important. When you look at the average ACT score in our city, it is a 16. Mm -hmm. That means by the time our kids graduate high school, they can't go to college anyway because you can't get in college with a 16. And that's the average score. The only two schools inside of our, inside of our city that are scoring higher than a 16 on average is Baton Rouge High School and Lee High School. Your two uh, designated magnet high schools right. where you have to essentially test to get in, right. and you have to maintain a certain score just to compete and remain inside of, that, inside of those schools. Mm -hmm. Every other school, they're having difficulties with those things. Now, why is this important, ACT? Because 25% of the weight of diploma inside of the state of Louisiana is tied to the ACT test. So that means that if you're trying to go out and get tops, if you don't have that score, you can't get tops. Mm -hmm. So again, for a lot of those kids, they're going to have to take out loans if they want to go to college. So what does dual enrollment inside of every school and ensuring that these kids have, or sorry, students have uh, associate's degrees when they walk across the stage? It ensures that one, you cut the debt down by two years. Mm -hmm. Two, they're two years ahead of their incoming cohort when they go to college. So they mean they're finishing college before they start. But even if you don't want to go to school, you get to go into a credentialing, uh, 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 industry-based credentialing yes. uh, program. So that means if you want to go do welding, right. if you want to be an entrepreneur, you can do those things. And what the superintendent is doing is he's expanding what those networks within those industries look like. Like right now, we're looking at transportation logistics. When you look at our city and you see what the, what the governor of Louisiana is, in, is, is, is uh, trying to do right now in terms of building a high-speed railway from Baton Rouge to New Orleans, think about how many jobs our students coming straight out of high school can have. Yeah. We're talking about jobs paying sixty-five dollars and $70,000 a year. Yeah. Opportunities that many of our parents didn't have. I know my parent didn't have that. My mother worked as a cafeteria worker for EBR schools when I was in school. So, you know, those things like that are in the back of my mind. And I understand when I talk to students and when I go across the community and you talk to these teachers and you just talk to the industry-based partners, this is what we need to move the needle for, mm -hmm. our, for our city and for our students. The, the whole idea of a rail system passenger rail system between Baton Rouge and New Orleans has been uh, one of the cherished desires of the Baton Rouge Area Foundation for the last 10 years. Uh, at, at first they were talking about high-speed rail, and then, then it just went to rail. Mm -hmm. Because it's incredible to me that a city the size of Baton Rouge doesn't have passenger rail service right. uh, and has not had it for 40 years, right. uh, 40 plus years. So the, the whole idea of, of, of a rail system, which is inching closer to being a reality mm. and the jobs that will come from that, if a person can, can put himself in a position to, to be qualified to work on a, a project such as that, that would be a great thing for them to see happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you, you know, it, it's, 
you know, it's so many different pieces to it. You know, when you talk about traffic congestion inside of our city, think about what what a, what a rail system would do. You know, yeah. and you talk about jobs. Well, let's say you know you can't get a job in Baton Rouge or there's no jobs available uh, in Baton Rouge. Well, guess what? You can hop on that rail, go to New Orleans on a, a two-hour trip, yes. and then go get a job down there, and then come right back Absolutely. and bring those resources back inside of our community. These are the things that you know that we have to talk about when we have these kind of conversations, so people can understand the high level of why these things are so important for our city. Yeah, I chuckle when, whenever I talk about the new Mississippi River Bridge. Mm -hmm. I'm 60 years old. That bridge is 58 years old. It ain't new. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, Calling call it the new Mississippi River Bridge is, is absolutely funny right. to me. Uh, and I don't think I'm going to see another bridge in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. all, all the discussions about whose property is going to be taken and, mm. and, and where the bridge is going to go. I just don't see that happening. So I, I think passenger rail would be a wonderful thing mm. to have happen, and not just between here and New Orleans. Uh, Baton Rouge, Mobile, Alabama has passenger rail. Mm. Why doesn't Baton Rouge? Right. <sighs> you know, it, it, it just makes no sense to me. One more question about school board, and, and, and then we'll move on. That's no problem. Uh, St. George, mm -hmm. uh, I have a real burr in my saddle about mm. the whole St. George thing. I think that it's going to happen eventually. Mm. That's my opinion, not not expressing yours. It's mm. going to happen. They voted it that way. They followed the example of what they did with cats in order mm. to get the vote that they wanted. Cats tried to get a tax, it wouldn't pass. They went back and carved out all the people who said no mm. and put it back up again. And they said, yes, that, that's what the St. George people mm. did. They, they couldn't get it one way. They carved out a certain number of people and they're going to get another. I have resigned myself to the fact that St. George is going to happen. I very much do not want to see St. George happen where we give schools free, mm. gratis, to this new city. Because for those who don't know, they've, they have formed a city yep. in order to appropriate schools. Mm -hmm. that, 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 that's what this whole process is about. Mm. They don't have a plan. I'm so, I'm so glad that the mayor and the mayor pro tem are keeping their uh, feet to the fire about a plan. If they had a plan, they would present a plan. Mm. Th they clearly don't have a plan. It's going to happen one way or the other. Mm. But can you help me to understand how what, what, what the attitude is of the current school board mm. with regard to the eventual giving of schools mm -hmm. to this uh, proposed school system? Well, this is, this is what I can tell you. You're going to have some people on the board that's going to, you know, they're going to side with putting more schools in that area. But this is what I've been very steadfast in saying annexation, annexation, annexation. I don't want to talk about building new schools in an area of town that wants to break away if annexation is not a part of that conversation. Mm -hmm. And what annexation uh, ensures is that anyone that lives in that area, any property that uh, belongs to our school system will still remain a part of East Baton Rouge Parish. East Baton Rouge Parish proper if anybody cho chooses to break away. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that, one, you don't just talk annexation for properties. You have to talk annexation also with residents because if you go back and look at the vote count, half of the residents in the area said no to the uh, proposed city of St. George. Yeah. So I think that that is a true opportunity and a testament to say there is an opportunity there so we can start annexing people back into our city. And mm -hmm. once we do that, you almost render... Uh, uh, 
the, the proposed city of St. George uh, ineffective because they won't have the taxable base in order to do it. And I think that's one of the smart things that uh, Mayor uh, uh, Kip Holden did before he left office. He ensured that when they first started these conversations, he annexed out the entire mall of Louisiana because that's a huge uh, taxable base mm -hmm. that they would have used. Mm -hmm. And by doing things like that, you kind of isolate them and saying, no, you know, we can't move forward with this. And now you have to come back and let the city know, uh, you know, how are you going to be financially stable in order to move forward with a city right. of this kind? Right. Uh, how, how are you going to police yourself? Mm -hmm. are, are you going to follow the model that Central mm -hmm. followed and incorrectly, improperly use the sheriff's office as your local police force, mm -hmm. now, this, which, which they were not supposed to do? This is an interesting thing. Now, I'm glad you asked that question because— <laughs> When you look at all of the studies that came out from the East Baton Rouge Parish Sheriff's Department, 25% of all calls made are coming out of the St. George area. So that means that if you break away and 25% of those calls are coming from your area, then, and mind you, this is why you're a part of the parish. What happens when you're a standalone city? Yes. How are you going to maintain that and how are you going to continue that? Because there are other parts and segments of our city that needs the East Baton Rouge Parish Sheriff's Department. In yeah. fact, if you look at uh, District 5, I know we ought to get ready to go, go, to go into that conversation. There are several parts of District 5 that are unincorporated, mm -hmm. such as in the Glen Oaks area. On one side of Mickens Road, it is not a part of Baton Rouge. It on the correct. other side of Mickens Road, you're back inside of Baton Rouge. Literally, right. it's one street that separates that. Right. However, my point in saying that is... The sheriff's department has to handle those unincorporated sides, and much on the same side, just like uh, St. George. So the question again remains, how are you going to maintain this financial? How do you keep up the financial uh, viability of your city when there are needs of our entire parish that you're trying to take away? It just makes no financial sense. Yeah, yeah. Let's turn to the Metro Council. Let's talk. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Erica Green mm -hmm. uh, vacated her seat mm -hmm. when she became a judge, mm -hmm. and now you are running for that seat along yes, with Daniel Bangwell mm -hmm. and Daryl Hurst, mm -hmm. uh, who was named the interim mm -hmm. uh, uh, councilman for that seat. Uh, first, help us to understand what the problems are as you see them, what the main problems are that exist within District 5? Well, man, where do you start? Uh, I think from the very beginning, I said that I want to go directly at crime. I want to talk about crime prevention. I want to talk about how do we make our citizens feel safe when they walk us out of their homes? How do we make our schools safe again? Because if you've been watching the news, you've been keeping up with the media, you're starting to hear that there are guns being brought on school campuses, there are gunshots going off all throughout the night. And I don't even tell you about the murders. Just last year, year we had the highest uh, murder count that we've had in our city's history with mm -hmm. 149 murders mm -hmm. across our city. So I think that if you're not talking about crime, then, you know, what are we doing or what are we talking about right now? And I, I, I pride myself right now, and I just, I don't pride myself on being the only candidate, but I pride myself on, on, on having the aptitude to actually address something like crime because right now I'm the only candidate inside a District 5 race that actually has a crime prevention plan. It's a five-point plan that touches base in every city, uh, every center, uh, every part of the issues that we have inside of our community. So I just want to start from the first one. One. I am, I am pressing on uh, to say that we have to put gunshot monitors inside of every single high-crime neighborhood. What do these gunshot monitors do? These gunshot monitors uh, can pick up uh, uh, whenever a gun is discharged mm -hmm. from a, a three-mile radius, within a three-mile radius mm -hmm. of the area. So what does that do? It cuts down the police response of time whenever these gunshots go off. Another thing that I'm uh, pressing is that we... Uh, 
create a camera-based system where we can directly capture license plates at every exit and entry point inside of these high-crime neighborhoods. So how does this connect back to the gunshot monitors? Well, the gunshot monitors cuts down on the police responsive time. Now, with these uh, license plate readers, the citizens inside of these communities or these residents inside of those areas are going to get real-time information that they can provide over to lo local law enforcement. So what does that do? Now we're building that community trust again, and now we're talking about community policing, mm -hmm. where our community feels safe enough to be able to work with our local law enforcement to ensure that crime prevention is at the top of the heap of everything happening. Whenever a crime happens inside of our neighborhoods, I am pressing that we have anti-violence neighborhood response teams on the ground. I've already identified two, one of which is the resistance, the other one is against all odds. Both mm -hmm. of these organizations are already working across our community to ensure that we're talking about anti-violence inside of neighborhoods like Glen Oaks and Zion City. We have to expand this all across District 5. The next thing, we have to get inside of schools and get anti-violence uh, 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 school-based curriculums inside of our, uh, in front of our students. We're not talking about it inside of our schools, which is a major issue because the students inside of our schools are the ones that live inside of these neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. When they come outside of their homes, there's no protection outside of those four walls. When they leave outside of the schools, there's no protection outside of those four walls. So then they're right back inside of the streets where the crimes are happening at. And we have to ensure that we have pieces in place so they understand what crime is, what uh, violence is, and how we create a more successful, open process for them to dialogue about it, talk about it, but also to get the necessary therapeutic uh, uh, relationships with either counselors or therapists so they understand what's going on inside of not just schools, but inside their homes and inside of their own neighborhoods where they live. Mm -hmm. And the last piece is going to be, for the very first time, a Jobs for Guns program. Now, if you look at every other program that's trying to get guns off the streets, right, let's take uh, gas for guns. Nobody is going to bring you a gun for a $100 gas card, which is why it has been rendered unsuccessful. Nobody is going to give you a gun for $50. It's just, it's just not, you know, it just makes no sense to them mm -hmm. because the gun is used for self-protection inside of the neighborhoods where mm -hmm. they live. But mm -hmm. if you could tell a person, I can change your livelihood by giving you a, a job for your gun, I think you change the whole conversation. Does Will it stop crime? No, it won't. But what it will do is it will present an opportunity, a moment of hope for those who think that nobody cares about them and they feel like they have to protect themselves. Gun buy pre buyback programs have been going on for a long, long time mm -hmm. uh, with minimal success. Yep. Uh, uh, so the, the whole idea of jobs for guns, that, that, that's interesting mm -hmm. to me. I, I, I think that's very creative, mm -hmm. very, very imaginative. Uh, what's your relationship like, you personally, mm -hmm. as a candidate, you, yes, if, if, were you su successful, you would be the councilman. What's your relationship like with the Baton Rouge Police Department, with, with, with Chief Paul and, and with the administration of the Baton Rouge Police Department? I would like to think I have a, a really good working relationship with uh, Chief Murphy Paul. And what I can tell you is this, Chief Murphy Paul has a really hard job. You know, outside of politics, he probably has the most politicized position in our entire city. You mm -hmm. know, and it's, it's not, you know, any angst of his own. He inherited this work. He inherited everything that's happening. And, you know, and he, you, you, when you 
when you include what happened with during COVID-19, where people are at home and they have a lot of time on their hands, it only exacerbated the issues or the problems that we already had across our community. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have to have more open dialogues with our police chief. In fact, um, I'm looking to have a town hall meeting where we discuss anti-violence across our community, not just with Chief Murphy Paul, but also with the Sheriff's Department, mm -hmm. with the Baton Rouge Street team, and uh, other members of our community and stakeholders that want to be a part of this process and trying to ensure that we get that we start to drive crime down by putting more preventative measures in place to ensure that, uh, you know, we're not just talking about stopping it as a reactive thing, but we're talking about stopping it as a proactive thing. I was disappointed uh, with the results of Wednesday's Metro Council meeting where uh, the council failed to approve uh, legal fees for uh, the police chief uh, to defend himself mm. against uh, charges that are coming from within uh, the union, which mm -hmm. I think is the most corrupt thing in the world, the, the Baton Rouge Police Union. I, I'm not anti-union in total, but I'm anti-Baton Rouge Police Union mm -hmm. because they're, they're the most corrupt set of individuals you'll ever find. Mm -hmm. uh, but their constant harassment of, of the chief of police and using this civil service board mm -hmm. uh, to, to drive up these legal fees, and, and I think they're real intent is to frustrate the chief to the point that he just is to hell with y'all and, mm -hmm. and, and go someplace else. But the Metro Council, in my opinion, failed uh, to show support for the mm -hmm. chief of police on Wednesday. Uh, uh, I don't know how everyone voted, so I'm, I'm not going to ask you about mm -hmm. individual votes, but it had you been in the seat in the room at the time, do you think that it would have been a different outcome? I can't guarantee it would have been a different outcome, but I can guarantee you would have had an advocate in that room that was speaking real truth to power. That's, if I can say anything else that I offer as a, a, a value added to any seat that I serve in, one thing I'm going to always do is I'm going to always speak the truth. Now, you may not like the truth, but it's going to be rooted in fact, and it's going to be rooted in data. Because that's two things that you cannot refute. You can mm -hmm. refute what I'm saying if I'm being emotional, if I'm giving an opinion. But when I when I present facts well, with the data to, to prove what I'm saying, it's just a hard conversation to have. And, mm -hmm. again, I think what I find, uh, you know, funny is whenever there's an opportunity for a photo op, everybody wants to join in with the chief. You know, everybody wants to be there to say, yes, I'm right here and we're steadfast and, and, and arguing mm -hmm. how we stop crime. Mm -hmm. But whenever he's in the hot seat, who is around to help speak truth to power for the chief? And that's what we need. We need true advocates sitting in these types of seats that can speak that type of truth and know at the end of the day that we are supporting our police chief. You know, I don't support the notion that we don't need cops. We do. We need better cops. That's the issue that yeah. we have. I, won't, I don't support the motion that we need to cut back on the cops that we're hiring because that's just not true. We need more officers. But, in fact, when you hire more officers, that means that we can put more safeguards and parameters in place and requirements in saying this is what we need. Mm -hmm. And what I do believe is, and I support our community in saying, if we're going to hire more cops, they should be incentivized to say, if you're willing to move into the neighborhoods that you're protecting, then, of course, you should get more money. Mm -hmm. Because, one, you're uprooting your livelihood, you're taking your family there, mm -hmm. but you're also trying to help reshape and change our community at the same time. In addition to a crime problem mm -hmm. that exists within your district, uh, there seems to be a lack of job opportunities. Mm -hmm. and, and, and is that a fair statement? That, that, that's me from the outside looking in. Is, it a, fair, is, is it a fair statement? And if, if it's a fair statement, uh, 
What do you think the support is behind the build Baton Rouge effort to revitalize Plank Road, the mayor's effort yeah. to revitalize Plank Road? And, and why do you think that it has not caught on the way that uh, we all hoped mm. that it would? I think Mayor Sharon Weston Broom's efforts to revitalize the Plank Road Corridor, and not just Plank Road Corridor, but uh, a significant part of North Baton Rouge is a very, very vital piece of legislation and policy. And I think it is rooted in uh, a, a finite uh, intelligence. So I would say the mayor is very wise in, in, in focusing on this area because we can't call ourselves the next great city or a true great city if parts or segments of our city are still hurting mm -hmm. and they're still starving. Mm -hmm. And they've been starving for a really long time. Now, mm -hmm. right now, we're in South Baton Rouge. South Baton Rouge has looked like this for since before I was alive. Zion City has looked like that since before I was alive. Glen Oaks or parts of Glen Oaks have looked like that since before I was alive. And mm -hmm. I can just keep going on and on. Guardian yeah. Lane, you can talk about uh, Brookstown, you know, all of these areas which, which significantly at one time where all white areas after white flight happened all the investment all of the all of the uh financial dollars that go in to prop those neighborhoods up just kind of dwindled and went away you know and i think she has a right mindset in doing what she has to do in order to move it i think that right now it is a matter of prioritizing what are the true needs and not the wants mm -hmm. i think a part of that process has been there are people or interests that want to uh, use the dollars how they want to. And I think that has been the biggest holdup. And I think that in that instance, we have not come to our community and said, what do you want into your area? What What are the kind of businesses you want to see come into your area? Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, when, when I had these kind of conversations, we talk about like grocery stores, right? One, the only reputable, and it's hard for me to even use the word reputable for this particular business, not to try to knock them, but it's just, you know, it's just not, the best fit for what we have inside our community. But the only reputable grocery store we have is Shopper Value. Mm -hmm. Now, if you know anything about Shopper's Value, it is a rebranded Piggly Wiggly. Yes. There's nothing that has changed besides the paint outside and the name on the building. Yes. If you walk inside those stores, they look the same. The produce is still old. Some of the meat is, you know, expired. And I'm just being honest about it. Yes. But nobody is talking about this kind of stuff. And... You know, when we have these kind of conversations, people are saying, well, why can't we get an Albertsons or a Walmart or a Rouse's? My question is, why are we pandering to grocery stores that don't want to come to our area anyway mm -hmm. and are going to take resources out? What mm -hmm. I am proposing is that we do cooperative associations, which will build collective community ownership, how we had in the 50s and how we had mm -hmm. in the 60s. New Orleans is doing this. Mm -hmm. Arizona is doing this. Minnesota is doing this. Washington, D.C. is doing this. We are the capital city, and we are not doing it. Nobody's talking about it, but there is an opportunity that we do this. Now, what is, what is a cooperative association? A cooperative association is where the stakeholders are actually the residents that live in the neighborhood, mm -hmm. and they put up a, uh, a small tax every year that goes towards grocery stores, movie theaters, eateries, and we own that property. From the profits we get out of that, that's how we re-beautify, this is how we, uh, I'm sorry, this is how we revitalize our communities. This is how we, we can put special projects in place like we had before in the past. Mm -hmm. This is how we can rebuild Zion City. This is mm -hmm. how we can rebuild and redevelop Brookstown so they become safer communities so people feel safe and comfortable coming back inside of our neighborhoods. But until we have those conversations, until we put actions in place, until we put a plan and a vision together, nobody's going to believe that these areas are going to be revitalized again. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to bring to the table. I want to bring real vision. I want to bring real conversation, and I want to bring tangible solutions to this problem that we're having inside of District 5, and not just District 5, because 
My thought process is this. If we can create a, a, an effective and successful cooperative association where the people own the properties and the eateries and the businesses inside of our area, if we mm-hmm. can do that in District 5, we can do it in District 2. We can do it in District 7. We can do it in District uh, 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 6. We can do it in every uh District 10, every district, where we right, are now. Right, District 10. Yes. <clears throat> we can do it in every community that looks like this yes. around our city. Yes. And now we prop ourselves back up in a way that we never have before. Help me to understand the, the, the boundaries. You're, you're running for Metro Council District 5. Does uh, representative, do, does District 101 on the state level coincide with District 5? Parts of it does. Okay. So one of your colleagues uh, on the school board Mm -hmm. is a candidate for that seat Mm -hmm. as well, uh, at the same time that you're a candidate for Metro Council. Uh, I'm not asking so much about that candidate. Mm -hmm. I'm asking, do you have a good relationship or do you see the benefit of a uh, of a good relationship between the Metro Council and the state representative in revitalizing that area Absolutely. of Baton Rouge. And I don't just stop there. I think it has to be uh, it has to be a full set communication team amongst school board member, the city council member, the state representative, and the state senator. Mm-hmm. So we are all working hand in hand to ensure that we are lifting and propping our areas up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it, while it doesn't encompass all of District 5, it does encompass uh, several of our significant neighborhoods, such as Park Forest and Monticello, two very significant neighborhoods inside of the area, inside of the district. Uh, but again, I'll say, you know, it's just having real open dialogue and also supporting people that actually know how to move the work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not enough just to have people that can get in front of a camera and talk well. You have to be able to understand policy, implement policy, but also be able to create policy. Mm-hmm. If you don't have those three things together, coupled together, you're going to run into a lot of different issues, mm-hmm. and you're going to see the same problems we're having right now. It's going to be a lot of talking, and, not no, and, and then no action happens. Mm-hmm. You're a graduate of Southern University. You yeah. have a master's degree from Southern. You yeah. have a, a juris doctor yeah. from Southern. Uh, what is your opinion of HBCUs and the role that they can play in the African-American community in which it resides. One of the criticisms of Southern, my mother worked at Southern for Mm. 29 years, so I have nothing but love Mm. for Southern University. I want to be clear on that. (laughs) Uh, uh, But but, but one of the criticisms of HBCUs is that there is not enough uh, investment by the HBCU Mm. in the community in which it resides. Mm. Can you share your your thoughts on that? One hundred and ten percent agree. You know, uh, I think right now we're in a uh, we're in an interesting time because Southern is, you know, not just Southern, but HBCUs all around our country are now getting the proper uh, visibility that they should have received long, long, long ago. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, imagine Southern University getting the visibility, having the visibility it has now, uh, back when it was in its heyday, when yeah. it had over fifteen thousand, almost twenty thousand students on the campus at one time. Yeah. I, I, we would be in a much different place today yes. than we are now. But 
uh, I will say that it, it's going to come down to leadership. We just selected our new chancellor and president, which, uh, you know, I'm going to support him 110 percent in ensuring that he can move the work and also help us raise some philanthropic dollars so that we can pour back into our community. Mm -hmm. What I can say is the Southern University Foundation is doing a really good job uh, under the guidance of Mr. Al Horrell and uh, making sure that we give back to the community. In fact, I had a conversation with uh, the development uh, chief development officer with the foundation and they want to work all across this community now they want to work with organizations much like mine because i'm also the executive director of the 100 black men of metro baton rouge yes, and um, they want to work with organizations like like the 100 to ensure that they can get that message out to the community understand what those needs are and how they can fit into that mode um i think the past has taught us a lot but i think that is going to ensure our future is successful and bright I asked you about redistricting with the school board. Uh, the Metro Council is going mm -hmm. through a redistricting process as mm -hmm. well. The paper recently reported that uh, the black Metro Council uh, members uh, gave some pushback mm -hmm. to Mr. Hefner about some of the ways in which he wants to delineate uh, the people who exist within mm -hmm. uh, the East Baton Rouge Parish area. Uh, I was happy to read that there was some pushback. And, mm -hmm. and I find it interesting that his delineation of people is very different for the Metro Council mm -hmm. than what it is for the school board. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, this process of redistricting, in my opinion, and, and I've said this, I'm, I'm 60, so by the time this comes back around, I'll mm -hmm. be seven years old, and I'm going to tell y'all, y'all do whatever they <laughs> what, what do want to, don't bother me about it anymore. But I think that it is so vital to what happens over the next mm -hmm. 10 years. And I guess my question to you is, uh, if the maps don't come forth from the school board, the Metro mm -hmm. Council, uh, the way in which uh, many of us think would be fair mm -hmm. and equitable, would you be supportive of... Uh, Suits, lawsuits being filed. Oh, absolutely. Uh, in, in order to, to, to bring about a certain degree of equity. Absolutely. You know, and I may find myself in a situation where my name is on the lawsuit saying that I don't support this and we have to go back and we have to redraw it. This is what I can tell you. During the appointment process, before we selected the, uh, the current uh, council, uh, interim council member right now, uh, as I talked to people, these conversations came up. What are your thoughts around redistricting? And I gave my honest opinion around mm -hmm. redistricting. I think that we have to listen to the data. The data does not lie. We've been following this data for years, and it got us in this position that we're in now. Mm -hmm. But now the data is telling us that there's a significant change in our city. But now he wants to rebrand the data. Mm -hmm. And 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 I, it's it's positively laughable mm -hmm. that the data can mean one thing mm -hmm. to the school board, but it means something else entirely uh -huh. to the Metro Council. And I'm frustrated that the advocate and Baton Rouge Business Report have not highlighted the, the, the contrast that the same guy is offering yes. different <laughs> opinions depending upon who it is mm -hmm. that he's talking to. Yeah. I'm sorry, I, I, I just had to get that out. No, it's, it's, it's okay. <laughs> Listen, because this is the interesting thing to me, right? How can we have a conversation with the EBR school board about seats and it's less than the council. The council has more seats than the EBR school board. Yes. So that conversation has to start there. Okay, so the council can have less seats, but the school, I'm sorry, the council can have more seats, but the school board remains in less seats. Like it's, it's so many, you know, conflicting issues that 
we're having in terms of these conversations, which is why it is so important that we dialogue and we talk about this as much as possible amongst our community so everybody understands what it is we're truly fighting against. Mm -hmm. You know, this is an invisible fight. It's not one that you're going to see, you know, just in plain, clear, day, blatant. This is an invisible fight, and you have to be able to read very, very closely between the lines and, and understanding what's happening. You mentioned your role as, as head of 100 Black mm -hmm. Men. 100 Black Men has been around now for, what, 30 years? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, tell us something about the work that's going on mm -hmm. now with, with 100 Black Men. Well, I, I tell you, I'll start by saying, you know, how, how I came into the fold. You know, I was a mentee of the of 100 Black Men, and uh, it's just the story is just so full circle, you know, because it was the, the summer of 1997. I still remember like it was yesterday, and it, this is when they started hosting their uh, back-to-school expo when they were giving out free school supplies to our mm -hmm. entire community. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I come from a single-parent household. My mom was single with, with four kids, so, you know, we struggled a lot. I saw poverty from a very early age, and uh, I think that's one of the most humble things that I can say that has taught, shown me a lot about life and the appreciation of, you know, the things that you have. Uh, but come from a single-parent household, as many times, you know, my mom had to decide whether or not she could put food on the table or pay the utility bills, and that's a, a real thing, you know. Um, and she always had a hard time, you know, just trying to come up to find the money to get the school supplies for all of us uh, when we were younger. Because, you know, on the first day of school, everybody has school supplies. Everybody, you know, they're feeling good about things, mm -hmm. you know. But, you know, we're struggling to just get basic things. So uh, this one year, we were able to go to the uh, then uh, Riverside Centriplex, which is now the uh, the uh, Raising Cane's, uh, uh, Raising Cane Center. And we stood in line for about two hours. And when we finally got inside, there was this young man uh, that, that, you know, he's asked mom some questions. And he came back out. He gave us enough school supplies to last us for two years. And that guy was uh, our now president and chair, Mr. Michael R.D. Adams. So, you know, I always tell him this story and I always tell him, you know, thank you for giving my mom a reason to smile. Yeah. But it's a, just a full circle story because now I get to run the organization that I was a part of yeah. as, a, as a kid, as a mentee, uh, and, and seeing the men that helped to guide me as a kid, you know. So we're just doing such amazing work. And one of the things that I've been uh, uh, pressing up on uh, our organization is that we expand our services. You know, it, I think now we're in a time where we have a proper representation. We have great uh, 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 f a footing around our community. People understand what the 100 is. They know what we stand for. Mm -hmm. We've been, again, in three decades now, almost as long as I've been alive. Mm -hmm. uh, they have been in existence doing the work on the ground. And one of the programs that we're pushing right now is called Respect for Life. We're already inside of EBR schools, and what it is is it is a uh, it's a curriculum-based program that teaches us about anti-violence. And when you talk about anti-violence, it's not just talking about the interactions that you have with inside of schools. It talks about what happens when you're at home uh, with your parents and the, the, the conversations that you have and you dialogue with them. It, talk, it teaches you about uh, what happens when you encounter the police for the first time as a young black man walking mm -hmm. outside of your house. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you deal with that? It teaches you how do you deal with the legal system if you ever uh, uh, put in place in that situation. And I think it is just so vital that we get this out this message out to our city has been supported by so many people it's been supported by the brpd sheriff's department mayor sharon weston broom's office several judges downtown uh uh, uh judge tarver smith just to name uh you know one and several lawyers uh, mm -hmm. and like, as i said before we're already inside of schools there has been several uh community stakeholders and partners that have been reaching out to us saying man we want this program tomorrow what can we do to sign mm -hmm. up for it so right now we're trying to gear up to take this thing national because we feel like we can make a national footprint uh inside of school districts inside of 
cities all across this country providing a, a resource like this. Let me ask you a couple more questions. Mm -hmm. um, it came to mind as, as you were speaking. Uh, regardless of how black Baton Rouge and East Baton Rouge Parish has become, mm -hmm. there's still a significant white community mm -hmm. that exists. And much like the case with the Metro Council, where all of the white representatives are Republican, mm -hmm and all of the black representatives are Democrat. Yeah. I would imagine it's the same way with yeah. the school board. Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't sure, but, mm -hmm. but okay. So the, the question has to do with the ability to reach across the aisle and work with people mm -hmm. who are fundamentally, culturally, mm -hmm. philosophically mm -hmm. different from you. Mm -hmm. What has been your experience with that? Well, it's been very interesting because, one, I'm a young electorate. So, you know, people tend to listen but not hear you when you're younger because they feel like they have more experience than you they feel like they have more wisdom than you mm -hmm. but there's always wisdom in listening no mm -hmm. matter how old you are you can learn something from a five-year-old if you listen close enough and you pay close enough attention to mm -hmm. it. uh so i say originally starting off and i think this is what makes you a really good public servant is having the ability to pivot now when i came on this ebr school board I was fire hot, you know, I would call it like a fireball, you know, mm -hmm. I, every issue I made sure I spoke out on it, I spoke out on it, you know, and I still do that today, but I do it differently. Uh, the conversations that I have now are, let's sit down and let's talk about it. I want you to understand it from the way that I see it, and I don't just want you to understand it, I want you to come see it, mm -hmm. you know, and having the ability to do that, that's how you're able to move the work. I don't care who you have a problem with, you know, and I know people know the, the relationship that I've had with several of my board, pro uh, board members, one of which being Miss Connie Bernard. Mm -hmm. Well, at one time, you know, I was trying to get her off the board. Uh, but in that instance, after all of that stuff is now over, we still have to do the work of this community, of this parish, and of our students. Mm -hmm. And today, I can honestly tell you, I can get on the phone with her and have a conversation with her. I can sit down and have coffee with her. Do I believe in, you know, the, the same things that she does? No, we don't believe in everything. And you're not going to believe in everything that somebody, you know, has. I, You know, there's several of my board members that are Democrats and are mm -hmm. black, and we don't always agree on everything. But the biggest thing is, can we come together and have a realistic conversation and walk away with some action plans and action steps mm -hmm. to move the needle for this policy? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's you have to be able to have that ability and skill because that's what makes you a really good public servant. Because I understand, even in the, the, the most populated black district, I still have a significant amount of, of uh, white voters, Hispanic voters, uh, uh, Latino voters that, and also Asian voters that still need my support and still need my leadership. Mm -hmm. So I always offer myself to them also mm -hmm. and saying, you know, whenever you need something, whenever you want to talk, reach out to me. I have no problem meeting you somewhere. I have no problem having a conversation because that's what it's all about mm -hmm. is making sure everybody's voices are heard, but making sure that we don't ignore the voices that need to be heard the most. Yes, sir. Next question is, uh, it's going to, it's, it's going to test your, your, your honesty. Okay. Okay, because I, I want to ask you about black churches. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, you've mentioned the work that needs to be done with HBCUs. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned the work that is being done by uh, community groups, one mm -hmm. of which you lead. Uh, you mentioned the work that needs to be done between various levels of government, city mm -hmm. and state. Give me your honest assessment mm. about the African-American church in your community mm. 
and what it's doing right mm. and what it could do better. Mm. I won't say what it's doing wrong, mm. what it what it could do better. I think what it's doing that is right is one, first and foremost, it is, uh, you know, spreading the wisdom, the love and the grace uh, of God. I think, you know, I, I won't say that any church is not rooting it, rooted in that, uh, you know, and I think that that's the first, that's the foundation is making sure that, we, that we're spreading uh, sound doctrine is what I call it uh, across our across our community. Mm-hmm. And I think that is happening. I think what we can do a, a better job at is is talking amongst each other, uh, you know. You can ride down one street and you'll see several different churches on that one street. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, it just makes you wonder, you know, are we communicating amongst each other? Why is there a need to have several churches in, you know, one geographic location mm-hmm. when we're all, for the most part, speaking the same language and saying the same thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that communication amongst the churches could be uh, increased and be a lot better. Uh, and I, I think that what that does is it builds more community trust, more community input in terms of uh, the things that are happening across our community. You know, this is how it was, was. you know, when you think back. And I, the reason why I always go back in history, one, that was my major in college was mm-hmm. history, mm-hmm. And most specifically uh, black history. Um, and every time I, I, I would go look at a, I'll read a manuscript or I go look at some old footage uh, for a class, what I noticed the most is that every single church was packed to the max every single Sunday. And you didn't have as many as you have now, mm-hmm. but now there's been so much breaking away. And mm-hmm. think about the progress that we were able that we were able to accomplish during those times when we had less churches. Uh, it's because everybody was working together. Everybody was communicating. The civil rights movement was birthed out of the black church. Yes. You know, and to me, that was just such a significant thing. And. Now we don't see as much as that movement happening. The only thing we're hearing about now is the history of what happened in the past. Mm-hmm. We have to be able to recreate history now. And I think the way that we do that, again, is just through proper communication and opening those avenues up. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. To me, that was a good, mm-hmm. honest, fair answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the election is going to be held at the end of March. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, March 26th. March 26th, mm-hmm. the, the, the final week in March. Early voting starts when? March 12th through March 19th. Okay. So roughly in about three weeks, okay. two and a half weeks. Okay. Uh, and we're having a debate on March the 7th yes, sir. at 7 o'clock for the Metro Council mm-hmm. uh, uh, District 5 mm-hmm. seat. And are you planning on being present for that debate listen i hope you have more than one but yes i will be present for the debate uh i look forward to talking about the issues and discussing you know what the needs are for our community i just wanted to ask you one more time okay (laughs) just for the sake of emphasis yes uh let let me ask this question Mm -hmm. you're a young man Mm -hmm. uh uh do you have kids yet i don't okay hypothetically speaking were you to have children and and when you have children Mm -hmm. What is your thought process about whether or not you want your children to remain in Baton Rouge mm. or go someplace else? And, and, and I know that there's the potential, you know, children want to go their own way, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But I'm asking you as, as their parent, mm. uh, what, would, what would be your desire for your children as far as uh, maintaining the residence in Baton Rouge? I want to believe that by the time I have kids, our community would be in a much better place. But even if it is not, I am rooted in Baton Rouge. I am here to ensure that we move the needle. I am here and I pray every single day that God uses me as 
an instrument to spread a real message across this community that we can change. It just takes the right vision. It takes the right person and the right people to see that those things come into fruition. And, uh, you know, even when I have kids, one day they're going to grow up. Mm -hmm. I don't want for them to have to go somewhere else because mm -hmm. they feel like we don't have anything here in Baton Rouge. What I want to be able to do is, is build a better city with our community stakeholders, with our mayor, with all of our leadership to ensure that, no kid has to leave. In fact, I was reading a paper uh, a few months ago, and it, it showed that 92% of our parents are telling their kids to leave this state. And that's a real issue, a real problem. causes a true brain drain it is. On, on, on our communities and on our state yeah. as a whole. And that's why I, I try to ask that question yeah. every time I have a guest on, you know, what are you telling your kids? Yeah. What, 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 in, in, in some cases, grandkids. Yeah. And they always want to say, well, I want them to pursue whatever they want to do, and, and, and I want them to find their own path to happiness. Yeah. And I, I appreciate right. that. But not at the expense of of this community, mm -hmm. and, and and that's what that, that that's the crux of the question right. that and I see, was asking. I try to have real conversations with people, and every time I talk to people, most specifically with business people, I always tell them we are twenty five years behind every capital city in the southern region of this country, because we are not having the kind of dialogue that we should. There's no reason, as we talked earlier, that Mobile, Alabama, has a rail system, but we don't. Yeah. There's no reason why there are certain, you know, Jackson State, I'm sorry, I'm not, not Jackson State, but Jackson, uh, Mississippi, is further along than we are, but we have a higher population than they do. Yes. Like, it just makes absolutely no sense to me to call yourself a capital city when we don't look like a capital city. Yeah. We don't function as a capital city. And I think that we can get there. Uh, I think the way I view myself as differently than everybody else is where people see chaos, I see opportunity. Mm -hmm. Where people see problems, I see opportunity. You know, when I look at North Baton Rouge, I, every day I look at it like, man, I know it can go there. This would be really good. I know what would have fit here. Mm -hmm. You know, and that, I think that we have to all kind of get into that mindset and mm -hmm. that mode of thinking that way because, you know, there's an old proverb is you have to speak it into existence. And the more we say it, the more we think about it, the more we draw it out on paper, the more we dialogue about it, the more we get closer to those things happening. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us, Mr. Mm -hmm. Adrian Lannis, candidate for Metro Council District 5, yes, current school board uh, member. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Thank you all for viewing and for thank listening. You. We'll be back again next time. Appreciate you. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you.